morning, Lake Gibson family and friends. Welcome to those of you on Facebook and YouTube. Glad to have you today. Go ahead. Let's give Jesus a round of, round of applause. Amen. Amen. Thank you. And whether you've joined us in person or online or you're watching this at some later date as it's recorded, uh, we pray that God will bless you for this this day and that you will be truly challenged as well as inspired this day. If you're new to our service here, especially if you're online, if you'll go to our website, which is LakeGibsonUMC.com, there is a connection card on there if you would fill out that connection information. There's also a list of seven charities, and if you'll designate your favorite charity, we will donate $10 to that charity in your name. Thank you in advance for your participation in this. If you'd like to get in touch with us, email may be the best way. Our email is office at LakeGibsonUMC.com. If you would like to send something to me that everybody doesn't see, it only comes to me, that's pastor at LakeGibsonUMC.com. Of course, our office is open Monday through Thursday, 9 to 2, and the phone number is 858-5431. Of course, that's area code 863. And we try to post anything coming up on Facebook and on our website, uh, so you can check there also. Remember, Zooming the Peace has moved to win, Ellen. It's Wednesday at 7 p.m. Good job, Alan. Wednesday at 7 p.m. Zooming the Peace. You need to get, yeah, we need to get more people on there. Zooming the Peace at 7 p.m. on Wednesday. We'll put up a, a uh, it's called Leftovers on Tuesday sometime. You watch that. I think Dwight also brings that in on Wednesday. Wednesday, you can watch it again there and we discuss questions there. You can interact with each other. Of course, we also have a one Sunday school class that's we're able to Zoom. That's Miss Sue, Sunday School class. All the Zoom links are on the website. But you can also come in person. And we have Miss Sue's Sunday School class as well as Mike Stafford and John Bernal's Sunday School class in the FLC. Any of those can be joined live in person at 9.15 on Sunday morning. Thank you, our thank you. Yes, thank our teachers. Amen. Go ahead. Give them a hand. I, I know that uh, Sue will work 8, 10, 12, I don't know how many hours on hers, and she may even call me and say, hey, preacher, have you ever heard of this, or do you know this guy? Uh, yeah, I know him. I like L. Roger Owens. Yeah, he was my professor. I know him. <laughs> you know, and thanks, and ask me things. Well, what do you think? So, uh, thank them for their dedication. Okay. Let's go to God in prayer, and let's begin our worship this morning. Father, we come before your throne of grace this morning, and as we do, let us just still our hearts just a moment. Let us quiet our thoughts of all the turmoil that's going on in this world around us. And let us just focus on you for the next hour or so. Let us just sit at your feet as Mary did. Let us worship you with all of our heart, all of our soul, and all of our strength and engage you with our mind in such a way that that we're filled with your love, Lord. And that love changes who we are and changes what we do and changes how we think and how we act. And let us give you the praise for all of it. Be with us now as we worship you, we ask in your holy name. Amen. And I will turn it over to the Lake Gibson Choir at this time. Um, by the way, where's the record? Where's it? The record. 
You haven't made the record yet. And welcome to our Facebook family and friends. Let me, amen. Let me tell you who's there, and then we'll give them a hand. Well, I said I would. You know, me and this thing fight about half the time. Y'all figured that out too? Guess what, Christy? Yeah, I broke it again. <laughs> me and Christy have this, this thing in the office. It's Christy! Computer's messing up again, yeah. All she has to do is walk in the room. It straightens out. This is no lie. She'll say, okay, do this. And I'll sit there and I'll do that. And I'll hit the buttons. And she'll look at it. And then she'll reach over. Let me see the keyboard. And she'll do the same things. And it works. So, yeah. yeah. So welcome to all you Facebook family and friends. You see, I saw, I saw the Acors and the Neelands. And there was about 25 on there. I, I don't remember all the names. But welcome all of you. Ginger. Uh, C.B. Fredrickson and others, welcome. We're so glad that you joined us today. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. We're glad. Amen. Okay. Remember how I started last week, Joe? Uh, almost. Almost. <laughs> I don't remember. My memory is, is kind of bad. I, I understand. You have, like me, part-timers. Part of the time you can remember and part of the time you can't. I, I, I got that. I understand it. But we had a pop quiz. Remember that? We had a pop quiz, and it went over about as well as it does in school. Half the people, you know, were, huh? But anyhow, we had a pop quiz, and we had two statements, remember? And in those statements, we had to pick one, what you think the gospel is. And also, there was two other answers beside the two statements. One was both of the above or none of the above. And we looked at them, and just to jog your memory, here was the statements. The first half of the gospel was what I called it. The question was, is this what you think the gospel is? That you were born into the intractable, unsolvable condition of sin? You were destined for destruction and eternal death? But Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, came into the world to defeat sin and destroy death, offered his life, death, resurrection, and ascension for your eternal salvation. And if you will receive this gift, you will live eternally. And if you'll remember, we went through that and we went through it by Scripture and we saw that, yes, this is part of Scripture. All men have sinned, all have fallen short, short of the glory, and Jesus Christ came to save us. And if you want to take a Methodist stance, which is what I'm going to kind of preach on today, this statement brings us and covers prevenient grace that we teach, which says, God is working in us before we even know him, wooing us, calling us to him, and brings us up to the point to where we, what we call justifying grace, make a decision for Jesus Christ to follow him. It, it brings us up to that, that point. And then the second statement was this. I was created in the image of Jesus Christ. With all of the fullness of the Holy Spirit. In order to become a powerful, transforming new creation, the love of Jesus for the sake of others to the glory of God the Father. And we looked at that scripturally and we saw that's true too once we come to accept Jesus Christ and begin to live with him. And if you want to really think about it, the first statement covers prevenient and justifying grace. This statement is all about sanctifying grace. Or sanctification is what we call it within the old Methodist church, I should say.
dying to sin, becoming like Jesus Christ. So here's a question for you. How are we doing in that endeavor? I'm sorry, what was that? Is, oh, you think so? Just another, is this another pop quiz? You're not good at pop quizzes, right, Deb? <laughs> Kathy? No. Okay. Let's see how we're doing. In 2011, George Barna, y- y'all know who George Barna is. He does all these surveys. But did you know George Barna is also a Christian? Or churchgoer, maybe I should say. Uh, and he does a lot of church surveys. In 2011, he did a survey and he took and surveyed supposedly spiritual people within our country and and came up with 10 formational steps within discipleship if you will within religion within Christianity and beliefs and figured out what people said and where they were and and here was Barnes steps and what he did okay the first step was people were unaware of sin we got some of those out there today you know that people that just do whatever they want to and don't care and they don't think nothing about it and you know sin what's sin it's only sin if I get caught Uh, that was one percent of the respondents the second was that they were indifferent to sin that was 16 percent indifferent means I don't care Larry so what I don't care that was me as a heathen that, that, that was me when me and God had this deal. Said, God, you leave me alone, I'll leave you alone. You don't tell me what to do, I ain't going to tell you what to do. See you. you, know. you, you, you y'all don't believe that, do you? But that's out there. And the other was, was people that were worried about sin. Worried. It, it, he doesn't go into worried about how, but I'm thinking to myself, what were they worried about? The wife was going to find out. The husband was going to find out. The boss was going to find out. The cops were going to find out. <laughs> you, you know. Uh, but was it, I'm worried that I'm a sinner saved by grace. <laughs> but were they worried I'm a sinner and I'm not saved by grace? Don't know, but that was the other one. Then he came up with some interesting ones. The next one was this. People who said they were forgiven from sin. 9%. You and I jump to conclusion and think that means they were forgiven by Jesus. And they knew that, right? But we can't jump to that conclusion yet, and I'll show you why. It just says they were forgiven, whether that was forgiven by the wife, by the husband, by the boss, or whatever, we don't know. His next one was this, forgiven and active in church. And that was 24% of the respondents. So we can understand that, right? Jesus Christ forgave me, so I come to church and I'm active now. We've got to argue about what active is because with Barna, active was just sitting in the pew. That's not my idea of active, but that's the way this was taken. Now, if you add that up, that's 89% of the people he interviewed. 89%. You with me, Joe? Yes, sir. That, that's most of the dollar, right? That, that's, that's most of what we end up giving the government. About 99%. Okay, anyhow. So 89% is the vast majority. Before we continue, let me tell you what the next step is that Barna has. And Barna doesn't know this, but his next step is pure Methodist all the way. Pure Wesleyan. His next step is called holy discontent. 
Holy discontent. It, and Ellen, I know you're asking, what does that mean, holy discontent? Well, I'm glad you asked, Ellen, because I'll help you out, and I'll help Ruth and Henry out too, uh, since I know they're watching. It means that I'm not satisfied with the relationship I have with God. It means I'm not satisfied with who I am. It means knowing that God wants more for you and you also want more of God, if you will. It means knowing there's more available out there with God and yet you hunger for it. It's wanting to go deeper, draw closer, understand more fully, sit at the feet of Jesus longer. And yet, even though that holy discontent is there, there's more to it because it doesn't just magically happen. It's not something that we just sit in church and God puts it on our head. It's something we have to want from inside. It's something that comes at a cost also. It comes with the cost of dying to self and living for God. It comes by nailing yourself to the cross. And here's the problem we have, Sandy. Most of you are like me. We nail ourselves to the cross up there, but then I get the hurt, and so I pull the nails out, and I come back down for a while. We don't stay there. But here's the rest of our survey, which gives us, if you will, the telling piece. Only 6%, I thought that's what it said, that's what it says here, only 6% of the people had holy discontent. Okay? Only six. Now, from holy discontent, we've got 89 plus six. We're at 95%, right, Joe? My, my math's still working? Yes, sir. Right, so there's five more percent. What, what's going on here? So, after discontent, said the next one is broken by God. You're like Paul. You like the choir saying, sinners saved by grace, but we're more like Paul, like, oh, wretched man that I am. I do the things I don't want to do, and I can't do the things I do want to do. It's broken by God. It's showing us that, hey, I'm nothing without him. It's being broken in such a way that you go to the next step, which is surrender and submission. But notice only 1% of the respondents are there. Only 1% are completely surrendered and submissive to God. Wow. And we've only got 1% left, by the way, if you've been at Okay. Look at Barnes next two. Only one half of 1% have a profound love for God. And only one half of 1% have a profound love for people. Wow. Did you catch the math. Do I have any math wizards in here other than, other than Miss Sue back there? Yeah. That's only 11% from the holy discontent to the profound love. There's only 11% of the respondents that claim that they're spiritual that have that. And yet those things are the things that make up sanctification. Holiness. The stuff that Methodists claim that they're for, for, claim that they, they work toward. Now, from the holy discontent, the next step was brokenness. But, you know, we're Americans. We don't like to be broken. We like to put everything together. We like to tell everybody, I'm okay. I'm doing okay. You doing okay? Good. We're all, you're fine. Yeah. We, we cover up that brokenness, don't we? 
We don't want people to see that. We, we just gloss over it. In fact, go out and look on social media and see how much of it is all about me. I'm okay the way I am. And God accepts you the way you are and God loves you the way you are, but God wants more for you too. You're okay the way you are, but He wants you to come up to a higher level, if you will. Brokenness means I'm not alright. I have hurts and I need some help, God. My life does not line up with your words. I'm that wretched man that Paul talked about. And then only 3% wanted to be submissive and surrendered because we Americans, we don't do that. No, we don't do that. We, we, don't, we don't surrender. It's my way. And I want my way. We don't, we don't do the other. But, you know, God, thank you, Father, God picks up people that are broken and puts them back together. And he does it in a way that's more beautiful than anything that man can do or we can do ourselves. That's where the resurrection power of God comes in. As he picks us broken people up and puts us back together. And then as he does that, then we become those that have the profound love for God and for others. Then we become those sanctified Methodist, if you will. Now, let me show you what Wesley said about sanctification. <clears throat> this is what he said. I don't know. Yeah. He called it the grand deposium. Now, those are grandiose words from the 16th, 17th century that what it basically means is this is the biggest thing. This is what we have. This is the biggest piece we have to offer the world, if you will. This is what makes us who we are. He says the grand deposium of the Methodist faith. Wesley specifically taught that it was the propagation of the doctor of entire sanctification. The doctor that we could be, the doctor that we could be better people. The doctor that because God lives in us, we were not going to be like everybody else and we were going to change and we were going to look at things differently. He says, that was the reason that God raised us Methodist up in the world. If you will, the mark of the Methodist was to be one of those people that were sanctified, entirely sanctified, if you will. The ultimate aim of a Methodist was to be a complete follower of Jesus Christ. How are we doing? I don't know about y'all, but your preacher's failing. He's not getting where he needs to be, he doesn't think. If we broke Barnard's Paul into the two camps, the 89% just work toward being forgiven by Jesus. Only 11% are seeking the deeper life, if you will. We have 89% of the people that we want to be saved, but we're not going to give anything up to do it. And only 11% are willing to give something up to be better people, if you will. Wesley said this, by justification, we are saved from the guilt of sin. But by sanctification, we are saved from the power and the root of sin. Think about that. To come to accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, that's great. We are saved from the guilt of sin. But if you want to be free from that sin, 
If you want to never have to go back, if you want to have the change broken, you've got to go further. And sanctification is what saves us and frees us and breaks the power of sin in our life. I'm afraid that as Methodist, you ready? As Methodists, we have reached the point that Wesley said that he was, um, said he was afraid of. This is what he said. He said, I'm not afraid that the people called Methodists should ever cease to exist either in Europe or in America. But I am afraid lest they should only exist as a dead sect, having the form of religion without the power. And if you go back to what he said about the grand deposium of Methodism, that power is sanctification. Have you heard any other messages lately about sanctification? From the Methodist church? Probably not. Because I think it's something that we've kind of forgotten about. Because you see, the power of God is seen in a sanctified life. As they die to self and live for Christ. Unfortunately, I think in not only the Methodist church, but in America, we've ceased to want to live such a life. We've ceased to even strive for it. We've ceased to even know what it means to be holy. Look at some of the things that are going on. Look at the split that's brewing even within our Methodist church. Holy people. People that love God don't doubt and question the word of God all the time. People that love God don't tell sinners it's okay for you to be that way. You can stay that way. They say it's okay that you're that way today, but God's got some better stuff for you. You can come on up to a higher level. You don't have to stay the way you are. Holy people offer the power of the resurrection to those friends and others that are mired in a sin and can't get out of it. They, they can be freed from it and holy people say, let me tell you how Jesus helped me and he'll help you. I think we've come to 1 Corinthians 3, 1 and 2. Paul wrote this, Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready, to, ready for it. Indeed, you still are not ready. Well, that's a scathing remark if you think about it. Even though you've been a Christian for 62 years, sir, you still can't have meat. You still have to have milk. Wow. Think about this. With Barnes thing, 89% are still on the milk. Only 11% are moving on to the meat. Think about what we've been talking about this way. You ready, Larry? I see you're taking notes. You ready? Okay. The first step on the road to that second half of the gospel to sanctification is holy discontent. Now, it's quite easy for people to be discontent. We have people that are discontent all day long. I'm going to call them unholy malcontents, if you will. They continually diagnose the problem as being them. Those people, what they did, what he did or she did, or something like that. They very seldom look inside themselves and say, well, I may be part of the problem. It may be part of me. 
Because it's another thing entirely to get in touch with the discontent within ourselves. It's easy to blame other people. But holy discontent is that sense that says there's got to be more of God and I need to find it. And it's, and it's something more than just saying, well, I've got the holy discontent. It's the desire to seek and I'm going to do everything I can to get it. I'm going to go sell everything else i got to find that prize, if you will. Holy discontent. This is just me. But holy discontent is what it's going to take for us before we ever have a revival. It's what it's going to take for us before we can ever change the church and change America. Holy discontent is the beginning of the movement from spiritual milk to spiritual meat. From infancy in Christ to maturity in Christ, if you will. Think about it this way. If the first half of the gospel was what we talked about, the first half of the gospel could be said to be, Lord, you took me out of Egypt. But the second half would be, Lord, take Egypt out of me. Because think about it. The Israelites came out of Egypt. But it was 40 years later, and only two of them that came out of Egypt then as adults, Joseph and uh, Caleb, were able to go in. The rest of them couldn't because Egypt was still in them. What would God have to take out of your life for you to get into his promised land. You ever thought about that? What would God have to remove from us to get us to go into the promised land of today? What do we need to get of our, our life so we can enter a better life with him? If the first half of the gospel is believing in Jesus, the second half is becoming more like Jesus. We want to go out and talk about believing in Jesus all day long, but very few people want to act like him, especially we don't want to crawl up on a cross or die to ourselves or turn the other cheek or some of the other things Jesus tells us to do. The disciples believed in Jesus, but it took them a while to become like Jesus. Think about Peter. He doubted. But then he submitted on that beach when Jesus said, Peter, do you love me? And he changed over the years till when it came his time to be crucified. He told the Romans, I'm not worthy to be crucified like Christ. Crucify me upside down. He became like Jesus, but it took a while. If the first half of the gospel is justification by grace through faith, which it is, the second half is sanctification by faith through the outworking of God's grace. This is Methodism. This is what Wesley said we would have come. This is what discipleship looks like. Becoming like Jesus Christ. And letting the works of piety flow out in such a way that others are changed too. If the first half of the gospel is forgiveness of sin, the second half is freedom from sin. And that's what we need. We need people to be free from sin. To have the change broken where they don't have to worry about it anymore. We're set free to live life to the fullest in Jesus Christ. But when you look around, even when you look at the ones in the pulpit, 
How many of us are set free truly? How many of us still continue to struggle with sin? Each and every day sometimes. If the first half of the gospel is I'm not perfect, I'm just forgiven. The second half has to be I'm not just forgiven, I'm being made perfect. Because as Paul writes, the one who began a good work in you will see it through to completion. So God's working in us each and every day and he's challenging us each and every day to come up to a higher standard. Again, this is the definition of sanctification within the Methodist doctrines. And I'm going to be dead honest and this is going to be tough. Of all the churches that I have been a part of before I become a pastor as well as since I've become a pastor, I've known one or two people in the church that may be that. But I've not known of a church that was living in the sanctification. I'm sorry. I know that's a condemning statement. But that's been my experience. In the first, if the first half of the gospel is coming to faith in Jesus Christ, the second half is growing in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And I think this may be where we fail often. We've relegated the Holy Spirit to a third place within the Trinity. We've relegated the Holy Spirit to be something that sometimes you can't depend on. But that's not true. We've relegated it to be something that, oh, that's what the Pentecostals do. You know, our Pentecostal brothers and sisters started out as Methodists. You go back a hundred years, we were the people that had the Holy Spirit in us and were showing others the way at the time. Wesley encouraged people to reach this position. This is where he put it. He said he wanted the Methodists to become people that were full, their hearts were full of the love of God and love for their fellow man. He wanted people to get to the point where Jesus was all we saw. Jesus was all we needed. And Jesus was all that people saw in us. And again, yes, the first half of the gospel is milk. The second half is meat. Now, Larry, I was raised in the South, buddy. I love a good thick steak. I love them barbecue ribs. I, I don't want them baby back ribs. I want them barbecue ribs, them thick St. Louis kinds with the meat on them. Because when I bite into a piece of meat, I want a piece of meat. I want a good thick pork chop. That's physically. But spiritually, shouldn't we want the same thing? Shouldn't we want the meat of the gospel, if you will? Shouldn't we want to really get a hold of all there is that God has for us? If holy discontent is coming to a place where we know where we know for sure that God has more for us than we have. Shouldn't we want it? Shouldn't we be striving for it? Shouldn't we even be maybe standing and saying, God, how do I get it? Show me. Holy discontent means we can't hit the snooze button anymore when the alarm goes off. It means we can't just wait for it to happen. It means we can't take the easy way it means we can't do things the way we've been doing it. But it means we have to seek another way and submit to God to show us another way. It's beginning the hard work of being a committed disciple of Jesus Christ. 
holy discontent, I think, is the beginning of a revival that will transform our church in America. And it starts with us. What do you want today? What do you want God to do in your life? What kind of disciple do you want to be? Pray with me if you would. Father, I thank you that you have created us and called us to be image bearers of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I thank you that as your word says that you that began a good work in us will see it through to the end. I thank you, Lord, for the transformational work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of your church, and in the lives of each of us here and those that are listening today over the internet. I thank you, Lord, that you're going to not leave us the way we are, but you're going to continue to challenge us to come to a higher level, to come to love you deeper, to come to love our fellow man a little more, to come to see the shortcomings that we have and beg you, plead with you to change those within us for your glory. We ask in your name. Amen. We're going to be singing a song in just a minute. It's going to be called Living for Jesus. If Ms. Glenda would go ahead and go to the piano and get ready. But here's what I want to do. As we sing this, if you want more of God, I invite you to seek Him at the altar or in your seat today. I invite you just to sit there and pray while the rest of us may be singing. I invite you to come and plead for His infilling and overflowing love to flood your life. And as you come, expect to receive it. Expect that desire in you to grow to such an extent that you want nothing more than Jesus in your life. If you would come and lead us, please, now, Bob, living for Jesus. Daughter lost sister and cut with COVID, okay. Any other prayer requests in here? Yes, ma'am, in the back. Jackie. Okay, Bill's nephew had COVID. Okay, any others? Uh, of course, you know some of the other things going on in New York right now is getting buffeted by a tropical storm. So we want to pray for them. You know what's going on in Haiti. You know what's going on in Afghanistan. And I got a plea from uh, Janaid um, this week that his family is still over there. And, you know, Janaid's, um, Janaid's hometown is only 15 miles from the Afghan border. He said the Taliban was going through villages knocking on doors. Um, and you know he's, he and his father and his brothers run a Christian school over there that educates women and uh, you know what they think about that so we want to pray for that situation too any others and Neelan has said praise Hadley, Hadley McEwen will be going home tomorrow from the hospital uh, praise the Lord thank you for that okay any other prayer request? Let's go to God in prayer. Lord, as we come before you this day, I thank you. I thank you that you are a God that loves each and every one of us. I thank you, Lord, for the blood which read down Calvary. 
I thank you for your Holy Spirit and just pray that you would live in each of us in such a way that we would be changed to be more like you each and every day. Your word tells us to lift the needs of the world and others before you, so we do that now. And you have heard these requests of these that have lost loved ones, of these that have loved ones in the hospital, some on ventilators because of COVID or other things, but there are others who are there because of cancer or dementia or Parkinson's or many other sicknesses, illnesses, and accidents that are going on. And we lift them each before you and ask that you would be with them as only you can. We ask that you would bring healing in their bodies, that you would bring health care workers and others around them that are compassionate and loving and knowledgeable and that if they don't have the knowledge that your spirit would guide them to know what to do to alleviate pain, suffering, and to bring people back to health. Lord, we pray for those that have lost loved ones. May you comfort them as only you can. These two that have been mentioned, and, and Lord, I know there are others, there are more than that that we've seen on the news, the people that we grew up with, the people that were heroes to many of us in many ways in music and sports and other things that have lost their life too. And we lift them each before you and their families. And Lord, there are many situations that are going on around the world that are tough, where people are hurting, where injustice is being done, where, Lord, to be honest with you, where murder is even being carried out. And we pray for those spots like Haiti and Afghanistan and the border areas of Afghanistan and others. Pray a special prayer for Janaid's family even now and ask you to keep them safe and protect them. And wherever Christians are, will you put a hedge of protection around them to even this day take care of them. For those that are undergoing a storm now in the north, in New England, we pray for them. Keep them safe. Lessen the impact in such a way that life is not lost, Lord. We just give you the praise even now. Again, we pray for those who are in charge over us from our president right down to our HOA societies and ask you to guide and direct them. Be with them. Be with your church. Be with your people. As we go forth now, fill us with your love. We ask in your name. Amen. Amen. And since we've already sang Living for Jesus, I implore you now to go out and live for him. Amen. 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 That concludes the service. Thank you for being here.